Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast and also the uh, Secrets of Attorney Marketing Podcast. And today I have Susan Farringer. She's a partner at Perkins Coie, a top-rated law firm. And we're going to be talking about uh, AI and the legal implications of it. So, Susan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you, Richard? Good. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, usually when... You know, whenever we talk about tech, it's always the tech side of it, not the legal side of it. So, uh, you know, in regards to AI, what are some of the current legal issues and what are some of the ones that you think will be coming in the next few years? Full of them. I, I guess I would say the current legal issues fall into a couple of categories. One of the areas that's sort of hot right now is biometrics. A um, number of states have, have adopted laws or have pending legislations in the, legislation in that area. There are also issues around, I, w- I would call it algorithmic discrimination, where uh, you know a lot, of, a lot of employers are using AI in connection with their hiring decisions, or firing decisions for that matter. But, but on hiring, you want to make sure that, you're, that you're, uh, your AI isn't having a discriminatory impact. So there's, there's some issues around that. There's privacy issues, a lot of those, um, product liability antitrust issues. There's sort of a few, a a few areas. Yeah. Let's start with biometrics. So, you know, what are the issues? Is it that if someone scans my iris, that they can keep a copy of my iris pattern and it's supposedly mine? Or, you know, what are the issues around biometrics? Yeah, the issues around biometrics are, yeah, that it different... There, there aren't, a, there aren't a lot of states that have adopted biometrics legislation. There are only three states with existing laws: uh, Illinois, Texas, and Washington are the only states that have enacted law. But there's some proposed legislation in a handful of other states. In the states that have enacted laws, they they define biometrics a little differently, but typically they mean things like things about the human body that are um, measurable and recordable, like iris scans or fingerprints, retina scans, that sort of thing. Um, And the different statutes define them in in slightly different ways. But basically, it's sort of fingerprinty stuff, uh, iris scans, face scans, things like that. And the legal issues around that are just what what you can do with that sort of data um, if if you collect it. Well, I guess, you know, for the past, I don't know how many hundred years, let's say, you know, if, if the police arrest me and they take my fingerprints, it's, I guess, my fingerprints, even though they're from me, they're the police's property or the government's property or, you know, yeah. how is this extending to the private sector and how is this, you know, what's the legislation look like? Yeah, that's a really good question because it's all very nuanced and very separate and not every state. In fact, only one state has uh, the ability for consumers to sue. That's that's Illinois. What it looks like in Illinois, and and we're involved in pending litigation, so I I, I don't want to go into details too much. But what it looks when I say we're, I don't mean Perkins. I mean Perkins represents a number of companies that are that are you know litigating cases that regard biometrics and and the Illinois statute. But but in any case, it's just sort of the Illinois statute in particular says, for example, you have to get notice before you obtain a person's biometric, uh, notice and consent before you obtain their biometrics, and then there's some limits on use and disclosure, and 
and some other statutory requirements around retention and security of those. So it's just sort of, okay. you know, ask ask for it before you take it um, in in a particular way according to the statute. Uh, some limits on use and disclosure and some limits on retention and security. And again, all of those are really, really nuanced and really, really complex. So it's it's a little bit hard to generalize. But that's those are the broad brush uh, contours of the statutes. Well, where's the push pull the legislation? You know, uh, do companies want to be able to just take your information, your biometrics, store it, use it as they need, use it for marketing purposes or just internal security purposes? Like, where is where do you see the contentions going to be? Yeah, it's uh, sometimes it can be things like, um, and you know, that, that a consumer just doesn't simply doesn't want their biometric to be collected in the first place because they consider it. Um, private information, and they don't want it collected without following particular rules. Um, and you know, it's it's the and the push pull that I see is sort of within the statute where there's a recognition that biometrics can be useful and that there is some value in uh, around biometrics. But at the same time, there need to be some guardrails around around their their collection and use. And that's the struggle is sort of what those ought to be uh, in a way that doesn't. Um, that doesn't hurt innovation, that doesn't hurt commerce, that doesn't hurt privacy, uh, and, and everything around that. But that, that's, that's sort of the biometrics landscape. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit unusual because there's, there's just this tiny little subset of states that have, uh, that have any laws that, that regard this at all. It's not like, for example, some of the other legal issues that come up, things like privacy and, you know, um, the algorithmic discrimination issues that that pop up from time to time as well in the employment context, or privacy with respect to consumer information. Well, we'll get into that in a second because the GDPR just reared its ugly head. You know, you know, <laughs> I'll talk about yep. that. Um, the, the last item with biometrics, I guess it's obvious, but I'll point it out is, you know, if I have my info on some server and it gets hacked, uh, I lose my credit card number, big deal. But if it's my iris scan, my fingerprints, my DNA, I mean, you know, that I can't change that stuff. So it's like a much, I would think it needs to be a much higher threshold of care because that info gets out. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, that's all a subject of discussion. And, and that's certainly, certainly a uh, an important aspect of the whole, um, the whole idea behind trying to find a way to, to manage this in the right way, you know, to, to regulate this in the right way. Um, and and sort of make sure that that you have the right protections in place. So yeah, I mean, I, and and I think even frankly, you know, credit card information and other you know social security numbers, uh, you know, any of that can be a problem for people. And I agree that that you know, depending on the biometric information you're talking about, certainly, especially if it's connected to your own individual um, identity in some in some way. Uh, you know, sure. Well, tell me about uh, algorithmic discrimina- discrimination. Um, so far as I know, I mean, most employers, et cetera, are not allowed to ask you ethnicity or questions like that. And I guess if that ended up in an algorithm and was used to make a judgment, that's probably an obvious problem. But is the algorithmic discrimina- discrimination not obvious? Or how does it happen? Like, what are some examples? Yeah, it's such a great question. The, one, one of the things that, um, you know, so say say an employer uses an AI uh, model or AI, an algorithm to help um, identify or recruit job candidates. If they, you know, if that algorithm is fed or informed, or if the machine learning model is based on data that are biased, 
Um, or say, for example, if the data relate to protected characteristics, you know, like obviously something like race, or maybe even proxy variables like a zip code where, as it turns out, it's got sort of a discriminatory impact. You, um, you have a model or you have, you have a data set that's biased. Even if the bias is completely in, unintentional, it can be introduced, um, you know, in a variety of ways into the data. Then it can be it can result in a discriminatory impact, and then you're on the hook. You know, then then if if the data are biased and the and the and it results in discrimination, employers can be liable even if the discrimination is unintentional. So that's 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 one area to be super careful. How would that? Uh, I mean, how would you deal with something as simple as a zip code? I mean, it's no one's uh, fault that certain people live or don't live there. And if the yeah. algorithm shows that there's a correlation, you know, right. with certain zip codes, what do you do? Well, I mean, marketers you wanna... have been doing that for like 100 years. Well, what you want to do is build your AI models or make sure they're built using neutral criteria to begin with. So that that's easy. That's obvious. You don't want to use like race as a criteria for hiring. Um, you also want to make sure that they don't have an adverse impact on a protected group. Um, or impose artificial barriers. So, you know, the the, the to-dos, you know, the, the, the takeaways on this are that employers need to be aware of the of the inputs in the tools, they, in the AI tools that they use, and, and, and ensure they're not biased. And then take a look at the results and make sure those, those results that are generated by the tools don't discriminate. If they do, you gotta, you know, you gotta tinker with it. You gotta go back and refine your tools, or if you have a contract with a vendor that uh, supplied the product, um, you need to make sure you've you've allocated the risk of that appropriately in your contracts, um, and and circle back because if you if you are uh, in fact using a tool that has a discriminatory impact, you you know you you are really at risk. So it doesn't matter if you're if you if you think you were innocent in in that regard. It doesn't matter what your intent was. Huh. You follow? Well, how would you prove that uh, something was discriminatory then? If you had no intent, you had no clue, it would have an effect. I mean, how do these cases happen? Can you give an example yeah. of one? Yeah, I, I don't have an example of a case, but but I but just theoretically, what you can you know just imagine, somebody uses an algorithm and it results in, um, and it's a big company and it results in hiring. Uh, you know, a completely non-diverse, completely, um, uh, you know, a, 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 and, and discriminating against uh, just based on, on the fact that there was sort of zip code and some other factors baked into that uh, ends up resulting in, in people who should have got the job but have, a, but have a protected characteristic not getting the job. So that that's the sort of that's the factual scenario that would be presented, and then you're gonna, you know, you could well find yourself in litigation around that. Hmm. It seems kind of I don't know, it seems kind of odd. I mean, people use heuristics when hiring, regardless. That's why they have job interviews. So just because something's an algorithm, especially if there's no intent, it, it kind of doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it makes sense that uh, someone would be liable, especially if there's no intent. How would they know? I mean, how are they supposed to? use an algorithm at all without a fee being in fear of being sued? Yeah, well, you need to, again, you need to take a few steps to review your inputs and to, you know, take a look at whether it, it is, you know, the it, say the inputs are biased. Say you have a bias in your inputs that result in 
uh, that is, you know, that is a it is a bad input. It's a protected characteristic. Don't don't use that. You know, <laughs> it's not it's not that complicated. If you have an input that results in, you know, you you look at the data, it results in a problem with your uh, you're using a tool that is resulting in your discriminating against a class, that's a problem. Okay. Um, I guess before implementing an algorithm like this, especially in hiring, you know, I guess consult an attorney. Um, what kind of an attorney would handle something like this? Is there a, Probably a labor a lawyer. Such a person? Labor yeah, lawyer? Okay. I would talk to an employment attorney. Okay. Very good. And then also what, in your contracts, you? if you're, all, you know, one other step is when you're contracting with a um contracting with a vendor who's supplying that AI tool, make sure you allocate your risk appropriately in your con in your in in that contract. Mm -hmm. Okay. What um any other hot hot button areas, you know, hiring sounds like one algorithmic discrimination. What other areas, you know, have this problem? So there would be hiring, firing, um, you know, credit, creditworthiness could be another area where it, you, you might be using uh, algorithmic criteria that that results in your denying credit or housing something like that to uh, to a protected class. Those are those are some of the areas that you want to really want to have your antenna up. I was surprised the uh, major credit bureaus haven't had problems with this. Yeah, well, this is, over. this is a new area, and um, you know, there's there. Uh, I think a lot of care is taken is being taken already. Okay, very good. Well, let's talk about uh, you know data protection and privacy. What what are your comments on the GDPR? Is, does it really affect U.S.-based businesses? And do you see legislation that's bubbling up here that's going to be something similar? Yeah, I have to I have to introduce this by saying that I am not. We have a privacy group. I'm a I'm a litigator. I do um, privacy cases, class action privacy cases, but I'm not the GDPR exit uh, expert. And I know that there are a lot of ins and outs on that. Uh, on, on the GDPR, so I don't presume to to know all of those. Um, I, I will say that on privacy and security, one of the things that is you know very very obvious, and privacy and data security are are one of the top items on the list of legal issues to be uh, to be considered in connection with AI, because AI requires so, so you know or can require just massive amounts of data. And sometimes that includes, you know, personal sensitive data, you know, data like data from children, financial data, medical records, you know, user content. And, you know, that's, the, you know, the questions that arise in connection with that are, did the people whose data are being used, were they notified? Were they notified, notified adequately? And uh, did they consent to it? Other issues that uh, that arise is sort of, do you have the rights to use the data? Is it within the scope of your rights? And then obviously, are those data, are they secure? And, you know, are, is it being kept safe from anybody who might want to access it in an unauthorized way? Do you think uh, Facebook and Google, maybe the harbingers of, uh, you know, a change in legislation because of the massive data collecting they're doing? <laughs> Both Facebook and Google are clients. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speak to that too, oh, okay. too directly. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I, I do see. I, I guess I will say just just generally, and this is kind of a worldwide observation. I think the GDPR itself is an expression of of sort of the desire to figure out how to manage people's data in a way that the um, the culture and the norms in each country, you know, that, that really work for each country's perspectives. 
Um, you know, the, the, the United States has a different perspective than Europe in this area for a whole lot of reasons. You know, some of them, frankly, um, probably involving European history where there's, you know, just, you know, they've been through uh, different, um, you know, regimes um, since World War II that is going to cause an, an enhanced sensitivity in areas that, 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 are are really you know more keenly felt there than than maybe anywhere else. So yeah, I mean I think that that it's in general something that is becoming increasingly on the radar screen, and increasingly people are struggling to to figure out how to manage it as the world gets smarter and more data become available, and um, people um, you know there, there's a lag time between what's being done with data now and what people are comfortable with and 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 sometimes sometimes there you know sometimes breaks need to be put on uh progress to to make sure that the that that lag isn't isn't too great makes sense yeah where do you think uh where do you think we're heading in the US over the next few years in terms of privacy and you know data retention I think I think companies and the and regulators and the government will continue to really try and struggle and 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 refine the balance that needs to be struck between um managing privacy and respecting privacy and and also not um you know not unduly dialing back on innovation it's a really delicate balance, and it and you'd really want to do it very, very thoughtfully. And it's not oh, the people at the wheel of regulations and and crafting laws are not necessarily going to be the people who know the most about the industry or the data they're talking about. So I see the next you know five to ten years as being a process of refinement, a process of of just sort of figuring out where we're at, what we need to do, and and how we're going to get there in a way that um, that people can live with. About, it's all, um, it, you know, it's just, it's moving fast. It's moving fast. The technology is moving very, very, very quickly. And, and the laws, you know, law is not known for being light on its feet and quick to catch up to stuff. So that's, that's, that's a new, that's, that's been an issue, you know, forever is how yeah. it's just that in, in, the, in the privacy arena, Things change so fast that it's really front and center that there's that lag time. What's your opinion on, um, you know, how the web has evolved with terms and conditions? Um, you know, what I've noticed this is just again, it's just my opinion, but it seems very unfair that let's say I'm going to use the GPS on my phone, and I'm, you know, I only have a second or two before I need to really turn it on, and it asks me to approve these terms and conditions that are like 50 pages long. I'm never going to read it yet. They're saying, okay, I gave consent, and who knows all the the hidden junk that's in that agreement there? Or if I want to use a website, or if I want to use, you know, et cetera. It seems like the evolution so far has been that it's just created. Uh, companies are able to just take data, use it however they want, and do it in such a way that's not at all clear to the people opting in, and literally putting them in a position where they just can't they can't make an informed choice of whether they're going to opt in or not. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, I disagree. I mean, I think I I do see, I I, I hear, um, I hear what you're saying that that gosh, it's too much to read, and um, you know, it's don't expect me to read this stuff. Uh, I I, I want to use my phone. Um, I I guess 
I guess I see, you know, it, and it, and it's hard to, to to capture what needs to be captured in in terms um, terms and conditions. I I a lot of the terms I've seen are in plain English and and do do a pretty good job of of explaining stuff. You you do need to actually take the time. I mean, it's similar to to arguments that are sometimes made. Um, you know, I've 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 got a contract from my, you know, that that the contract is long or the contract is hard to read or or and and it's just it's 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 not reasonable to expect me to do that given the circumstances. And I guess I, I guess I would say and I and I and I think those arguments can have a lot of validity. But I also think there are some times where they where they really don't. I mean, there's a lot of times when companies really go out of their way to present notices and screens that really do put it right in your face that um, that something is you know the notifications that are appropriate for for the moment uh, or for your use. And then and then also, I think most companies have terms and conditions if 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 you. Uh, care to read them? Most of them have those available, kind of at any time, any time you want to review them. So, so I mean, it, it, it it's all kind of a matter of opinion, and and also I I think it's you know it there is a point where you, you know you're you gotta sort of consider that the the person who's you know using the phone uh, you know is in a position to to read something. So, you know, I, I think there's just differing opinions on that. Okay. So what what other major issues related to AI we haven't talked about yet? Maybe one or two more. So, okay. Um, Which one I really like, one, gets your goat or really is the uh, you know, most important to you? I guess I would say that, you know, they're all, they're all kind of neat issues that, that arise here and there. There's product liability issues, you know, co- companies that design, build, or sell products, you know, that you can, you can have claim, you know, like autonomous vehicles and the like. You can, you can risk claims that the products aren't as advertised or they don't work or they cause damage. And you can, those can be trickier when you use AI in those machines. The the main you know in those in, in like for example in your car the 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 thing that I would you know the things to think about there are just you know make sure that you've that when you contract out uh, with third parties that you review those contracts so that you know you know who's responsible for what if something goes wrong and then also just don't don't over advertise oversell your products as something that they're not you know be be careful with what you're saying to consumers about about what the product does um, and if and if you learn something that means it's sort of out outdated you know figure out a way to and and probably frankly talk with counsel about how to update your disclosures those are you know those are the those are probably privacy and data security is a big area, product and consumer issues like um, product liability and employment issues. Those are probably the big, uh, the big issues. Another issue is, and then just to kind of give you another one to talk about a bit, another, uh, another issue is price fixing. You know, if, if competitors agree on pricing, obviously that's not, that's not okay. 
but maybe both competitors use the same algorithm and it results in some pricing um, that's identical. You know, that, you know, that is an area where you need to be pretty careful. And so that would be another area of potential attention in connection with AI and the law. So in that regard, what if, uh, I mean, this happens, what if like five different airlines use the same pricing system, you know, how close your flight is and what time of day and how full the plane is and all that stuff. I guess yeah. they probably all use a similar algorithm or the same one to change ticket prices. You know? Right. Yeah. The test there is going to be um, collusion, concerted action, you know, collusion. So what you really just want to be very, very careful about is don't have background email discussions, background agreements, phone calls where it's like, okay, let's both use X product. That's, that's the, hmm. that's the thing to watch out for in that situation. So it's sort of like that would be, um, the the identical pricing would almost be a symptom, and the real cause would be that the two the two companies actually agreed, and because that's where the problem lies, the true concerted action. You follow? Oh, but uh, yeah, but as the uh, let's say the seller of the algorithm, obviously I'd want to hit up everyone in the industry I could, and if they yeah. all started using my algorithm, I'd be so happy, you know. Yeah, exactly. And and you want to say, hey, so-and-so is, is you know, using my algorithm, and so you should too, and won't it be awesome, and then that sort of thing. Yeah, that that is something to watch out for. You definitely, you, you know, you can give the appearance of collusion if if there are too many communications between a vendor of of that software and its, you know, clients where it, it, it looks like you're triangulating that collusion. Okay. And then I guess going back to the example of autonomous vehicles, yeah, I don't know the answer to this, but yeah, once they're more prevalent, let's say you're in a car and, you know, it's driving itself and you're like sitting there snoozing and reading the paper and you get into an accident, someone gets killed, you know, who will be, will there be specific insurance policies for the self-driving car itself, or how do you think this will resolve in the future? Who will people go after for money if something like that happens? Yeah, I think right now there is, you know, a lot of discussion around that. That's what I would call sort of risk allocation, um, getting getting your insurance policies set up correctly so that you've got that uh, covered, and also getting your contracts with whoever was involved in, a, you know, the the pieces that go into that car, the parts, the software, the you know, whoever could be at fault for for that accident, making sure that the contracts between and among them, you know, allocate risk clearly and, um, you know, include indemnification provisions or who's responsible when X happens, that sort of thing. So, I, I, again, I see the future as sort of being this um, incremental progress in refining that and as people get smarter about what systems could give rise to problems and could you know could put somebody in the crosshairs and making sure that you manage that risk and mitigate that risk by um starting with your your contractual relations you know with the with the players and and including insurance you know you raise a good point about making sure that that you know that insurance when you were mentioning insurance i don't know if you were talking about sort of the driver of the car's insurance or um you know insurance that might have been obtained by the creator of the car, you know, because it, both sides right. probably have insurance involved. And again, that's that's an area where uh, you really want to, um, especially the creator of the car is, is going to want to consider making sure they've got the right kind of coverage 
um, mm. if they're if they're not going to be covering it in themselves. Are there any uh, interesting or landmark cases that showcase some of the elements we've been talking about that people can look at? Yeah, well, there's uh, the there's a whole collection of cases on biometrics laws. I don't I don't have them at hand. Uh, there is you know, because it's a very it's a very new area. There's a take two decision, Shutterfly decision, a, a whole variety of others as well. A lot of the the bigger litigations are ongoing, and so they don't have any final decisions right now. Uh, Facebook is invo- involved in in litigation right now that's up on appeal, so so we're not seeing any any definitive decisions on that yet. In the employment context, and I'm I'm unaware of of seminal decisions on these specific areas. Uh, so no, I, I don't have an answer for you on that. Sorry. That's okay. So it's still too early, but I'm sure some will be coming, and yeah. those will instruct what happens later. You know. Right. Right. I agree. Okay. Well, very good. So what's the best way for listeners to find out more if they feel like they may uh, have a legal need in one of these areas? Uh, you know, they should contact the appropriate counsel, but. Yeah, because it's you in the interview. What's uh, any contact information for the firm in case people sure. need to contact it? Sure, it's at PerkinsCooey.com, P-E-R-K-I-N-S-C-O-I-E.com, and you can go to the website or Google Perkins Cooey and artificial intelligence. We have an artificial intelligence group uh, and lots of offices. We carry, we we cover a whole variety of different practice areas. Uh, I'm a I'm a litigator in business litigation and and a variety of other areas, um, but we have we have specialists in in all the areas that I've that I've talked about today, and you can reach us just by going to the website and inquiring via the website. Okay, that's great. Well, Susan, thanks for coming on the call, and I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Bye bye. Right. You have been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.